Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody Award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Welcome to the Great America Show. Here we fight for truth, justice, and the American way. And I thank you for sharing part of your day with us here. This new year is already upon us, and there's no doubt our country is in, how can I put this delicately, a mess. A president who clearly has no idea what he's doing to the nation, forcing open our borders as if he and the radical Dems were in some grotesque alignment with the Mexican drug cartels to propel their smuggling operations on the southern border to boost trafficking of sex, illegal immigrants, and deadly drugs. Everything from marijuana, meth, heroin, cocaine, and fentanyl, without our Border Patrol permitted to secure the border, they have a wide open border. The DEA, it seems, just waves as the tsunami of lethal drugs pour across the border from Mexico. And don't doubt for even a single second that the cartels have corrupted not just Mexico, but both sides of that border. All the while, the Biden administration is seemingly trying to bankrupt the nation. Biden's Build Back Better plan, a silly name for a silly enterprise. For what would be the most expensive government program in history, the president lied about its cost, but that's not unusual, is it? It uh, was, he said, a massive $1.75 trillion. But the truth is even worse. Estimates rise as high as $4.6 trillion. And for what? A disaster for the nation. A nation that if that bill were passed in the Senate, would mean this country would be on its way to being a debtor nation in perpetuity. As things stand, Democratic Senator Joe Manchin is standing strong in his opposition to the Biden monstrosity, and he's being hailed as a hero for doing so. And no argument from me, but don't forget, there are other players in this, uh, in this enterprise. And don't forget about the 50 Republican senators who opposed the bill and the importance of their unity and principle in voting down Biden's Build Back Better bill. One of those senators is Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. He serves on some of the Senate's most important committees, the Budget, Foreign Relations, Commerce Committees. He's a great American, and Senator, welcome to the Great America Show. Well, Lou, uh, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, Senator. And I want to turn first to Joe Manchin, standing against this bill, uh, what is your judgment about what will happen? Well, first of all, I'm very grateful that he is uh, honoring his uh, promise to uh, you know, not vote for something that would uh, spark inflation, to uh, make sure that he maintains Senate rules so that uh, we have the filibuster, so uh, we, we don't have a mere majority running roughshod over uh, uh, the, the rest of the Senate. So I truly appreciate that. Uh, sounds like he's going to uh, hold firm, part, partly because of the bad behavior of Democrats. I mean, if, if you wanted to bring somebody along, if you want to convince them to join you 
you, you wouldn't treat somebody as shabbily as Democrats have treated both Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema. It, it sort of boggles your imagination. Uh, I, I guess Democrats have such arrogance that uh, they think, uh, you know, with the, the mainstream media in their back pocket, they can pretty well roll over anybody. But uh, we, we all ought to be very appreciative of the fact that uh, Joe Manchin was not willing to be rolled over by the Democrats. Yeah, I, I am very impressed. Uh, I've covered the senator for uh, some decades now. And I have to say, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful that he has the courage and the principle to stand up. Uh, he has uh, he has done the nation a great service uh, so long as he fo follows through uh, on his uh, declaration to to stop it. Uh, it does, though, Senator, cause me some worry when I think about all of the rhinos in your party uh, who have betrayed the Republicans before, and in my judgment, also the nation. Uh, the name Romney comes leaping to mind, as you might guess. Uh, your thoughts about the unity of the Republicans and whether they will have the guts and principle to stand uh, against this monster of a bill? Well, I don't have any doubt that uh, you know we're going to be remain unified against uh, this massive. It's about a five trillion dollars spending bill. It also increased taxes by a couple trillion dollars. So I, I, we're very unified on that. I think we're also unified against uh, nationalizing federal elections and, and really uh, turning this into a permanent one one party uh, controlled uh, nation. So no, there, there's a fair amount of uh, uh, unanimity between the Republicans on, on, the, on that front. You know, I, I always do caution people uh, to be careful about wishing for bipartisanship because you know one one thing. <laughs> that you do see in bipartisanship uh, is that there's a lot of bipartisan big spending. Uh, and so you know, th th there are some of my colleagues that uh, are a little bit more willing to engage with Democrats and, and, and also deficit spend, but uh, not, not in this instance right here. So I think you can really uh, be confident in the fact that we're going to stay strong and be opposed to, to build back better or build back bust and certainly oppose the tax increases. I mean, we're, we're the ones that, passed the 2017 tax reform that uh, made our tax system more competitive, uh, combined with uh, a, a lower regulatory burden, really created the, the strongest economy in human history prior to the, the, the Chinese virus hitting in the, in the, in the, the COVID recession. So uh, we, we actually were responsible working with President Trump to usher in that great economy. I, I think we all uh, learn from that, and uh, we support our own policies, and we wouldn't want to backtrack on that at all. Well, that is, I, I, I have to tell you that I, I am reassured. I know the audience is reassured uh, by your confidence in Manchin standing his ground and the, uni uh, the unity of the Republicans on at least this issue. You mentioned uh, the, the China virus. Uh, it's it's, uh, it's extraordinary, unprecedented impact. Uh, well, I shouldn't say unprecedented because 1918 comes to mind very quickly, but uh, all but unprecedented plague on the country. Uh, we seem to be at this moment on the cusp of perhaps an end to the pandemic. Uh, it's at this point, that's wishful thinking. I think at least on my part, uh, we have less pragmatic evidence uh, to suggest it, but it is a milder form, uh, this uh, Omicron variant. Uh, your thoughts about first where we are right now in this pandemic and Joe Biden, uh, President Biden's most recent comment that he doesn't see a federal role uh, in this crisis suddenly. 
Well, let me start by saying I've always felt there was a federal solution here, and it's called early treatment. Uh, have our federal health agencies robustly explore and research and then uh, basically approve uh, early treatment with re, with cheap, generic, repurposed drugs. And there's literally a cornucopia of them. Uh, you know, I'm connected to the global network of doctors that are courageously and compassionately treating patients successfully with these drugs, but our agencies have turned a complete blind eye toward it. So I, I completely disagree that uh, the federal government doesn't have a, a vital role to play. Unfortunately, the role they've played is they've not only ignored early treatment, they sabotaged it totally in favor of vaccines. And by the way, you know, Lou, I would never downplay the severity of COVID. Right. Um, hundreds of thousands of people died. Hundreds of thousands of people died that probably didn't have to uh, wanting, you know, for the want of early treatment. But I was a big supporter of Operation Warp Speed. I'm, I'm the champion of right to try. Right. Uh, but I think you have to look back at our response to COVID and, and just sadly admit it's been a miserable failure. And well over 800,000 people now have died from COVID. To this day, the NIH guideline for when you're diagnosed with COVID is basically do nothing. Tylenol. I mean, they added monoclonal antibodies. Try and get them. Now the federal government's taking control over those things. So we still just send people home afraid, scared, isolate yourself, and hope you don't get so sick that we admit you to the hospital where we don't do a whole lot more for you. Right. Uh, this has been insane. It's been a tragedy. The freedom Americans lose when they go to the hospital, that they can't see loved ones, they, they, even though they're begging for some of these uh, cheap generic drugs, and there literally is a cornucopia of them available, hospitals won't administer them. So you know, this has been a travesty. And America has to wake up. We can never let this happen again. I think our regulatory agents, our agencies are captured by big pharma. Uh, I, I, there's so much about our response to COVID that makes no sense whatsoever. The fact that we haven't recognized the, the power of natural immunity once you've had COVID, the, the fact that we completely ignore uh, the vaccine injuries. Now, I, I have to sadly report, we, we surpassed over a million adverse events reported on the VAER system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting right. System, and over 21,000 deaths. Now, I realize the VAER system does not prove causation, but when you have over 6,000 of those, 30% of the 21,000 deaths occur on day zero, one, or two, it's certainly something I'm concerned about. I, I can't imagine why CDC, FDA, NIH is not really looking into those deaths, into those adverse events and taking them seriously. They, they just seem to be blowing it off. Can I hazard just one, uh, one man's opinion here on why that is? Uh, I believe that the leadership of the NIH, the CDC, is tired. They're bureaucrats. They're not doctors. They're public health officials. They're not providers or caregivers. Uh, and it really shows up. I've talked to uh, at least one doctor who said uh, that uh, she's tried to follow the party line on the CDC and their recommendations and their guidelines. But this most recent decision in cutting in half the quarantine time without without requesting testing, uh, she said that broke her. Uh, she's no longer on the party line uh, because they make no sense. They have failed the American people. And you have been very uh, critical of Dr. Fauci. Here's a man who has stood atop the public health apparatus, as well as the virology and infectious diseases quarter of our, our medical 
community uh, in the government. And, and my God, he's made mistake after mistake, reverse position after position, and has done anything but inform the body of public knowledge. We don't learn anything from him. Uh, and he seems to first set his own hair afire before he goes on camera on a predictable Sunday show. Well, I, I have no idea why anybody would listen to Anthony Fauci at this point in time. Um, he, he lacks, from my standpoint, all credibility. Uh, he lost that credibility very early in the vaccine. I was on a, a Senate conference call with him, and I, this one he was proposing these shutdowns, which I was very opposed to. Uh, and, and I asked him, well, Dr. Fauci, are you taking into account the human toll, the economic devastation you're recommending? And he, he just blew off the question. Ah, Senator, that's not my department. Does, you know, economic team's got to worry about that. No, as a doctor, you have to treat the whole patient. Yeah. But the fact that he is just so singularly focused on a vaccine, uh, not only ignored, but in many cases, our agencies have, have sabotaged early treatment and these repurposed drugs. Uh, it's it's been a total travesty, but let, let's face it, he covered up his involvement in the funding of very dangerous research, whether it's gain of function or not. I mean, they played that definition. It was very dangerous research, and they shared it with the Chinese. You know, they they, they have to know that anything you share with the you know top scientists in China is going to be shared with the top military leaders as well. So you know, I don't know exactly. No, nobody's been able to prove you know, exactly what is the origin of the coronavirus, but I can certainly say it was stupid to share that dangerous research with them. And so this is the same guy now that's been pretty well put in charge of our response. And again, our response has been a miserable failure. There's no way you can look at this and say it's a success with that many deaths, trillions of dollars of deficit spending, trying to respond to it. And it's not over. Right. You know, it just it just seems that some people don't even want it over because they like the control that they've been able to maintain in the state of fear that they've uh, fostered. You know, Senator, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I think further that people at the local level uh, in communities all over the country now see it. Uh, they have seen the left try to take over school boards. Uh, dismiss parents and private citizens from school board meetings because they don't have the right uh, in their local communities to decide what their children are taught and how, uh, which is preposterous since that is the foundation of one of this country's greatest and proudest achievements. The public education system in this nation has been the greatest equalizer in our society of all. And we have put it in the hands of uh, basically two powerful overly powerful teachers unions, the Democrats and the Marxist leftists have decided to indoctrinate rather than educate. And there is no response from your party uh, that is organized and meaningful uh, at the uh, at the national uh, state and local level. Uh, your thoughts about that? Well, first of all, I've, I've always felt the foundational premise of America was a federal system, you know, sovereign states, but government close to the governed where it's more effective, where it's more efficient, where it's more accountable. So when I'm back in Wisconsin, I'm talking to groups of people concerned about, as I am, critical race theory, the teaching of 1619 project, that type of thing. I just tell them, listen, if you don't want that taught in your schools, don't let it be taught. You know, show up to school board meetings, like, like the parents in Virginia and quite honestly, a growing number of states. 
and, and make sure that your school boards don't allow that to be taught. So you know, there is an awful lot of power, but you know, unfortunately, and this is you know the, the, the liberal bias of the news media and our focus, and, and this has been a blunder on the part of conservatives, where, where we were so concerned about the federal government growing and its influence, its negative influence mm -hmm. on our lives, we started focusing on the presidential races or US Senate races, and, and we dropped the ball. We, we let the radical left take over our university systems, our, our local governments, our school boards. You know, and, and, and too many conservatives look to the federal government for solutions. What, what is the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again or, or relying on the same failed institutions over and over again to try and solve your problems? Uh, it's not going to work. So from my standpoint, we need to devolve governing power back to the states, back to the local communities. It, it's really kind of going back to the COVID travesty yeah, is the exactly. fact that we've put all our hopes in a solution coming from the federal government. Now, again, because we have this, these federal agencies, medicine looks to them for their guidance for, you know, how do we treat people? And mm -hmm. we got no guidance other than a vaccine. What should have happened is doctors should have been practicing medicine. The big tech should have allowed the flourishing of discussion between doctors as opposed to censoring them Dr. Pierre Corey testified before my committee on ivermectin. A month before that, we had Peter McCulloch, Harvey right. Rich, George Freed talking about other repurposed medicines. That testimony of Pierre Corey, eight or nine million views, got censored by, by uh, uh, YouTube. So right. what we should have had is a flourishing of doctors practicing medicine, trying different things in the middle of a pandemic, sharing that information, and that's how we would have advanced not only medicine, but our response for COVID. And literally, I believe hundreds of thousands of lives could have been saved that weren't. And that's, again, that's the tragedy of relying on an all-powerful federal agency or federal government. when We should have been relying on our own common sense, doctors' own courage and compassion, their medical training, and dealing with a, a very difficult situation but we would have come together. And again, there were advances made. You know, one testimony with Pierre Corey in May revealed corticosteroids, and that was more effective than ventilators. Right. So medicine has been advanced, but the federal agencies have blockaded this, which is why it's such a tragedy because so many other so many people could have been saved with treatment. And by the way, we're still not recommending treatment. It's, this is just bizarre. You know, what other health condition? Don't we use the basic approach of early detection leads to early treatment and produces better outcomes for just for everything else. That's what we try and do except for COVID. Right. We it, say, okay, it, yeah, it, take the test and then do nothing. It's, it's bizarre. It is bizarre. It, and it is tragic. And it is, it is showing uh, massive uh, dislocations within our society, our, our way of life right now. And that is when big tech, can censure a president of the United States when it can censure a United States senator, a, a member of the House of Representatives, and eliminate them, ban them for life. I, I mean, the New York Times would not have that power. Uh, they try, but they would not have that power. The Washington Post would not. CBS, even CBS uh, uh, News doesn't have that power. But it's given to unelected uh, oligarchs uh, in, uh, you know, in Silicon Valley, this is madness by any definition. Uh, and the Republican party 
came out uh, with President uh, Trump's leadership, focusing on bringing antitrust and anti-competitive uh, enforcement to Silicon Valley, to big tech and social media, which is what they really fear. And instead, we have an acquiescent public and a Republican Party led by Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy. And my God, they are bereft of either energy, uh, uh, intellect, uh, or, or, or principle. Uh, I don't know which or whether all. But right now, they're, we're, we're watching two parties that are so poorly led that you wonder if indeed they really think they're still in America. Your thoughts? Yes. Yeah, yeah, Lou, I'm, I'm not a real fan of either side in many respects. I'm, I'm, I really sprung out of the Tea Party movement. Uh, yep. never involved in politics. I ran a manufacturing plant producing packaging material for, for medical devices. So I, I came here and I was pretty aware of the dysfunction, but I have to say my, my jaw has dropped when I, I see the, the depth of the dysfunction that is Washington, D.C., which is why I say don't, don't look to the federal government to solve your problems. You know, look, look to yourself. You know, let's rebuild the foundational building block of any successful society, which is the family. That's what big government is hey, I, to, to, to destruction of. With all these big government programs, great society, you make more people dependent on government, uh, out of wedlock birth rates. It's it's devastated the, the American family. So, Senator, may I just say, I hate to interrupt you, but I, I am so moved by what you said to hear a United States senator talking about the fundamental importance of the American family. Uh, it, it, it just, uh, my heart overflows because this is, these are words of truth that I hope everyone listening take to their hearts because we talk about lots of issues, whether it's crime, uh, whether it is uh, the pandemic, uh, you name it. But the family has so much power when it's given support and cherished and respected, especially by the members of those families. Uh, I, I'm just delighted that you said that and make that a, a, a fundamental uh, a premise of your political philosophy. Well, you know, Lou, Lou being a business guy, I, I like charts. And one of the charts I used very early on in, in my term as a senator was one that showed poverty rates declining uh, dramatically from the 50s into the mid 60s. You know, we had a booming economy and you right. know, people were lifting themselves out of poverty. Uh, but then we instituted the Great Society programs. You know, it wasn't, you know, people were still being left behind. And then poverty rates flatlined. It's just, just right about 15%. Uh, but you know what skyrocketed? Out of wedlock birth rates. Back in the mid 60s, probably mm -hmm. on average, somewhere between 5 and 10% of, of births were out of wedlock. Now, nationally, we're over 40%. In different democratic democratic or de demographic groups, it's over 15, over 70 percent. I mean, th that is destructive to society. Well, why aren't we looking at that? And gee, what caused that? You know, could it be the great society programs that made it possible for you know single motherhood uh, that actually discouraged fathers from being present in the home because you wouldn't get the benefits then? I mean, you have to look at the cause and effect of these things as opposed to just the intentions. I, I don't I don't doubt you know good intentions, but you have to look at the actual result of what big government has done to the family, to our society, uh, to our country moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, whose good intentions is it that you don't doubt? Is it big business uh, that has 
taken away over the course of the last 40 years, pension plans that has said that it can't be competitive so long as there are taxes on it, even though that our history shows that corporate America was at its most successful uh, while uh, tax rates on corporations were extraordinarily high. Uh, is it healthcare plans uh, that no longer uh, are uh, Cadillac plans? You know, they're more like smart cars uh, for the consumer and behemoths uh, uh, for the federal taxpayers. It's, I, I doubt the good intentions, frankly, of corporate America, of business roundtable, the chamber of commerce, uh, and the Republican Party is just simply too close to those people uh, that uh, there would be any question about whether or not uh, Verizon and AT&T would delay uh, firing up their 5G systems until the federal government was sure that it wouldn't interfere with airline traffic. I mean, the, the arrogance of AT&T and Verizon in telling the FAA that their interests were superior to the nation's. It's outrageous. Well, again, I, I won't defend m many of the things you're talking about there, other than to say at least corporate power, business power is diffuse. There are thousands of businesses and, and there is freedom of movement between you know, businesses. If you, if you don't like the way you're being treated by one company, you can, you can move to another one. And I would say part, part of the reason companies have been able to shed things like pension plans is because the government has taken its place. Yes. You know, why, why do we have fewer private education systems? Well, because you have a public education system that's free, supposedly free. So again, government, you have to look at this holistically and the impact of government and growing government. Uh, government control uh, generally has not been positive. Um, so that's kind of a, a slightly different perspective in terms of what you're talking about. But I, again, I'm not going to defend the fact that uh, and no, I'm not asking you to. I, I, I'm just saying the intentions of business have not. In my, I, I'm just simply, uh, if you will, offering a, a counter view uh, to what you've just said about uh, their good intentions. I think they've been far from that. Uh, millions of jobs outsourced, plants put, we, you know, we're talking about supply chain disruptions. That's what happens when you put plants in China and Vietnam and Romania, and you're trying to arbitrage, uh, you know, labor costs, uh, environmental impact, uh, and most of all, uh, wages. Uh, we have, we've been played for fools and suckers. Uh, and the Republican Party, uh, I think, has the opportunity to truly lead. I think President Trump said that the Republican Party has to be the party of the working man and woman in this country and their families. Uh, and I think you and I agree on uh, just about everything. And I, I, yeah, and I, and frankly, I don't mean to scare you by saying that, but I, no, no, I, I'm very when, when I, when I, when I was talking about good intentions, I was talking about the good intentions of the people that uh, produced all these government programs, you know, not, not thinking about the cost and, and the mortgage right. of our children's future. That, those kind of the good intentions I was talking about. Uh, but, but I agree. I, I think, Republican principles, starting with liberty and freedom, the, the, the freedom that allows Americans, no matter where you're situated in life, no matter what you do, to dream and aspire and build and create, that's what made this country great. And, and a government designed primarily to protect those freedoms, not to solve all our problems, not to spend all of our money, not to tax all our money away, but to defend our freedom, defend our nation, defend our borders. 
again, we've lost focus to what we established the federal government to do. And instead, as the federal government's grown, it's taken on all these things that it hasn't, it's incapable of doing. And in trying to do these things, it's destructive. It's again, destroying, you know, destroying the American family or doing great harm to it. I mean, that, that, that's, again, I'm not a fan of the federal government. I think you, you probably notice that here. I'm not a fan, quite honestly, of a lot of people serving here. Um, they're, they're, again, they may well, have good, good for you is all I can say, but, but they're, it, the results are awful. Yeah, it, it, it is awful. And uh, you and I, again, are in uh, a profound agreement. I, I want to just tell you how much I've enjoyed our, our conversation. And amongst the issues that, you know, that we talk about, uh, whether it's abortion, right to life, uh, you know, or pro-choice, the fact is, since 1973, uh, we have eliminated 60 million Americans. 60 million. And that's a conservative estimate. While we are listening to our corporate uh, uh, oligarchs uh, and, and masters uh, tell us that they need more ch- more labor, uh, that they're 10 million short now, and it'll be 20 million short next year. The mindlessness of public policy in this country has got to end, and it only ends when we all come together and talk about the national interest, not a disparate and diffuse idea of what is a uh, multicultural perspective from from Marxism uh, to to the farthest right. We govern best when we govern from the middle. We govern best when we govern rationally. Uh, I, and I'm a, I'm a fire-breathing independent uh, individual who believes in the same for, for all Americans. Uh, the, collective, uh, the collective be damned. Your thoughts think- as we wrap up, you always get the, the last word here, Senator. Sure, well, I, I think you accomplish things when you, con- when you concentrate on areas of agreement. You know, I mean, there's plenty of things that divide us and no two people agree on everything, but figure out what we agree on. And Lou, uh, to end on a good note, here's what I think most Americans agree on. We all want a safe, prosperous, and secure America. We're, we're, concerned, we're concerned about each other. We want each other to succeed. We want this nation to succeed. Quite honestly, we'd like people throughout the world to succeed, to have what we have as well. So concentrate on that shared goal and then you can start fighting about exactly how you achieve that goal, but at least, you know, start there. And I think that's how, how we can make good things happen because yeah. this country is, is vital. It, it is the shining city on the hill. It's, it's our solemn duty to make sure that we preserve it for future generations. Amen, absolutely. And I appreciate your, your perspective and your view. And I agree with it. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson, thanks for being with us here on the Great America Show. You're a great American. And uh, come back soon. We'll be glad to. uh, God bless you. Stay healthy. Uh, And uh, same back to you. God bless. All best. And Happy New Year. Senator Ron Johnson, we continue with the Great America Show in just one moment. Please stay with us. The Supreme Court is holding hearings on President Biden's vaccine mandates for businesses, companies that have more than 100 employees, and for all healthcare workers. As always, when anyone is talking about COVID, vaccines, testing, it doesn't take very long for the conversation to get downright irrational and often highly, highly emotional. And what could be more irrational Uh, than the Supreme Court to spend just a few hours for hearings in a case that could affect 
millions, hundreds of millions of Americans. 100 million Americans directly, and by extension, that means all of us because our lives and our work so intertwine. A few hours for what could be an enormous expansion of presidential police powers or an affirmation of our Constitution and our individual liberties. To take up COVID, our health, vaccines, testing, the politics and policies of it all, Joining us is a dedicated and highly respected public servant, a man who has served the nation throughout his career. With us now, Dr. Brett Gerois. He's physician and scientist. He's former assistant secretary of health, admiral in the public health service, and the U.S. representative to the World Health Organization in the Trump administration. Dr. Gerois was seemingly on television, as you may recall, nonstop as a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force Dr. Giroir, we, uh, we thank you for joining us and taking time to be with us here on The Great America Show. Lou, it's great to be on with you, and I'm uh, so happy to be on with your listeners to hopefully give some common sense communication about where we are with this pandemic. Well, we appreciate it. And, and let's, let's begin with first uh, your, uh, your overview of where we are at this moment. Uh, we, frankly, we're two years into this this uh, pandemic, uh, this national crisis, uh, but it doesn't certainly appear to me, and I know millions of uh, our, our audience, it, it doesn't appear that we are two years smarter about it all, that we have a knowledge base that is uh, two years from the origin of, uh, of the pandemic. Well, I can certainly understand that in the confusing recommendations and somewhat chaotic leadership uh, by the Biden administration makes people even more confused. But I think we're in a much better place now. Remember, back in March of 2020, um, when we were first facing uh, this virus, um, we had we didn't know how it was transmitted. Uh, we had no vaccines. We didn't even have a hope of a vaccine. We had no monoclonal antibodies. We had no intravenous therapeutics. We had no oral therapeutics. We had no testing. Uh, we have all of those things now. So we are much better equipped in this fight. And vaccines have been very uh, successful. Now, they don't last forever. We know we have needed a second dose and, and now a booster potentially with Omicron. But what we're seeing right now is the result of all the work. And that is, although we're having a lot of cases and we are having more cases than we ever had, our rates of hospitalization have gone down dramatically, as well as the deaths. And that, those are two really, really important things. We can't just focus on the number of cases, particularly with Omicron, which is a much milder disease for almost everyone involved. We have to work on those hospitalized patients and deaths, and those have gone down. So look, we are not out of this yet. We still have to be careful. Uh, I think the government needs to be completely transparent, honest, and humble about what they tell us because we don't know everything, but we are in a far better place. And I think we're in a far better place because of President Trump's leadership and the leadership that we gave to the American people during our time. I agree with you 100 uh, percent that what you all accomplished uh, in the Trump administration uh, in uh, Operation Warp Speed, moving, uh, creating testing, uh, which you were the lead on, uh, creating these vaccines and moving them in such a short order. No one, uh, everyone simply wants to, it seems, almost everyone wants to say, well, you know, the vaccines, there's just a, now a, a feature of our life. They were a feature that was impossible going into it. 
and you all demonstrated what can be done in a national emergency. And, and I think the nation owes you uh, greatly. And I know hundreds of millions of Americans who are alive right now. Well, uh, well, you know, should be you know, the, appreciative. you know, the secret sauce, Lou, and that is the federal government has a role, but it doesn't solve any problems. We solve the problem because we engage the best of America, private citizens, private industry, the academic sector to all work together. And that really is the secret sauce. When you see top-down federal mandates, that really doesn't solve anything. You have to engage the American people, engage the great commercial sector, um, combine that with the government in a rational way, uh, provide incentives, get rid of red tape, which President Trump was outstanding in doing. He would never tolerate bureaucracy or red tape. And that's why you have vaccines. That's why uh, before we left, we had already distributed 180 million of these rapid tests. Uh, President Biden's talking about doing 500 million over three months, uh, a year and a half later. We, we almost did that before we left. So, you know, that's a secret sauce. I, I am honored to be part of that, but it's an American victory because we engaged the best of America. Yeah, you know, there's one, there was a time when this country was known for plain spokenness, uh, authenticity, uh, and, and ingenuity. Uh, and certainly resilience. That was the definition of an American to most of the world. What they have witnessed uh, is one thing, what, they has, what has been reported by our national left-wing media, it diminished the, the immense uh, accomplishments under the Trump administration, uh, the leadership of Donald Trump, uh, the White House task force, what you all did day in and day out, and what you uh, did in the interest of, the, uh, of this country's public health is just astounding. But the national left-wing media, and I'm not even going to make this a question, I'm just going to say it, the left-wing corporate-led media and owned media uh, have done this nation and uh, such a disservice that it's, it's inexcusable and there should be shame across the uh, entire media uh, industry for what they did over that period of time. And, and what this president did as a candidate uh, you know, is outrageous. So with that, I, I want to turn to the politics uh, of the Supreme Court very quickly. Uh, I know Chief Justice Roberts says there are no Bush or Trump uh, justices. There are no uh, Obama or, say, Biden justices. The latter happens to be true because he hasn't appointed any. But John Roberts today did something I thought unusual. He was basically targeting the fact that the Congress has not acted on the coronavirus pandemic and our public health response while the Biden White House is demanding really a, a, a serious expansion of quote unquote police powers. Your thoughts on that issue? Well, first of all, let me say that I want to encourage everyone to get vaccinated and to get boosted if you're eligible for that. Um, because it is our most important defense against uh, the pandemic. And I mean this particularly if you're elderly or if you have comorbid conditions, you know, whether a 12 or 15 year old needs to get boosted. I'm not going to talk about them right now. I'm talking about adults, particularly sure. elderly and those with comorbid conditions. But number one, um, I, I, I am not for the federal mandate because number one, I don't think mandates work. Uh, American people don't like mandates, particularly about vaccination or other health-related issues. Um, and you joked about me being on the media very often, and I'm still doing that because I believe to the bottom of my soul, to the deepest part of my core, that
that our job is to give the best information possible to the American public transparently and honestly and let people make their own decisions for themselves and their family. And that's what I think uh, is the best way to go. If you mandate, I think it will be counterproductive. I think you'll have people not taking the vaccine because of the government push. Secondly, uh, I certainly don't believe, and again, this is not such a public health uh, matter, but the federal government um, should not be in the position of mandating. That's not the way we do public health. Sure, if you're a private business, um, you know that's a different thing, way down close to the people and people can make their choice whether they use that business or work in that business or not. But for the federal government to take mandates, it, it's really just unprecedented in this way. And I did read the lower court's rulings and, and they were very smart from public health. They said it wasn't justified because they're lumping everybody in the same category. Uh, and clearly not all workers are in the same category. Secondly, they don't take into account natural immunity. Now natural immunity is, is important. You know, it, it really is important. And there are people who have natural immunity, um, which is probably as good as two doses of vaccine. Now, neither of them, neither two doses of vaccine or natural immunity is gonna keep you from getting Omicron. That's why it's important to at least get a booster if you've had two or a vaccine dose. But you know, it, they don't take into account that. So I thought the public health rationale from the courts that originally stayed this um, was very sound and, and was clear thinking, sometimes clearer than the CDC. Uh, the CDC uh, in this has been, uh, to put it one way, uh, let's say, just say erratic uh, in their guidance. Uh, I, I was talking with the doctor the other day, and she said uh, to me that she has been uh, hewing the uh, party line when it came to vaccinations, when it came to uh, public health uh, dicta from the CDC. But she said uh, they broke her. Uh, of her support for the CDC when they came out with this uh, decision to have the self-quarantine from 10 to 5, but not, not recommend testing. Your thoughts about that ruling? Yeah, it, you know, I think the CDC got off on a bad foot very early because they started saying what you can and can't do. And the CDC cannot tell you what you can and cannot do, except under very special circumstances like international travel. They really, their job is to make recommendations and for the states and localities to either affirm or not affirm those recommendations and for people to make their best choices. Um, the issue with the isolation, so um, this was the, this is the real crux of that. You know, if you have COVID, if you test positive for COVID, um, they change the isolation um, from 10 days uh, down to five days uh, with no test. Uh, and there was a huge backlash against that. The rest of the world, uh, look, I am for reducing isolation as much as possible because getting people back to work, keeping our economy strong, having our uh, first responders, our healthcare workers, our military back on the job is very important. Our we teachers. Our teachers, amen, brother. But we need to do that safely. So the rest of the world, like the United Kingdom, says seven days with two tests. I think five days with a test would be reasonable, but I, you know, I really believe the reason they didn't recommend that, and they talked around the issue a hundred times, but it's because the tests aren't available. Right. That was exactly. really the issue because they didn't invest in testing between January and September. Then they altered the recommendation. What kind of recommendation is this, Lou? Um, I'll give you an MD if you uh, if you agree with me on this one. What kind of recommendation is that says? 
well, you don't need a test, but if you can get a test and you want one, go ahead and do it. That's not a recommendation. You know, I mean, nobody would believe that, right? And look, this is pretty simple. And I don't know why they get torn around the axle so much. Look, after five days, if you're not going to be in a high-risk situation, if you're not going to be around elderly, if you're not going to be in crowded places, yeah, wear a mask and don't test. But if you're going to be a healthcare worker, if you're working at Chick-fil-A, you know, if you're uh, working in crowds, if you're going to be around elderly people, yes, you should test and make sure that's negative. And the government, instead of opening some website for a free-for-all, they should just send tests to people who test positive. The, lo the local health departments know who you are, not the federal government, but the local health departments do. Send a test to people so they can test themselves out. This is very, very easy to do. I don't understand why there's such a lack of clear thinking and leadership. Well, I think part of the reason, if, if I may hazard it, and I, I, I'm not going to be able to get my MD, uh, <laughs> I, I, because I do agree with you 100%, but you know, I, I'm, I'm going to, you recommended humility. I'm going to stay humble on that. I, I, I'm not, uh, not qualified, never will be. I can't even pronounce the, uh, the prescription names, let alone uh, understand the science and the, and the medicine. Uh, I, I, one of the reasons I don't understand it is uh, the conflicting public accounts and reporting on the issue. I, I'm still confused about whether or not a person uh, who has been vaccinated, uh, how, how big a deal that is in contracting the infection in later stages, that is after the immunity dissipates, uh, from the vaccine, and can they carry the disease or can they not? And I, I, to me, it's just a straightforward question that should have a straightforward answer. Uh, you, you're right, and a, a lot of the data is, is not really forthcoming from the CDC. Um, I hate to say this, but I look at Israel probably closer than I look at what the United States is doing, and I also look at the United Kingdom. Um, Israel's been correct in about three months ahead of us for most of the pandemic. Right. Um, but where we are now with Omicron, um, if you were vaccinated or if you had pre-existing immunity, you probably have uh, good protection, still good protection against hospitalization and death, but you have very little protection against getting Omicron. Um, even, even boosted individuals, um, two vaccines and boosted, um, you can still get Omicron, much less chance. And the reason for that is because all of those mutations you heard about with Omicron. Mm -hmm. So it really evades both natural immunity and two-dose vaccine immunity. Uh, so you can still get sick. Now, what you're seeing is, and, and people joke about it, for people who've been vaccinated or have had Omicron before, uh, I mean, had uh, COVID before, is, you know, they joke about it as being Omicold. And that really what it is for most people is it's a, it's a minor sore throat, it's a cold. What we know is you don't lose your uh, sense of taste or smell uh, right. with, with Omicron. Um, it is very unlikely uh, to get in the lungs. We have good biology that says it replicates in the nose and mouth, but it really doesn't get deep into your lung tissues. So it, you know the bad thing is it's very contagious. The good thing is that for most individuals, um, it, it really is a minor disease. Now, when you have, uh, you know, the official reports say we have 700, 800,000 cases a day, we probably have somewhere around two and a half to three million cases a day because of wow. the lack of testing and underreporting. So when you have that many cases per day, even a disease that is low risk 
is still going to hit the elderly and people with comorbid conditions and put them in the hospital. And that's what we're seeing. Yeah, this is, I, I, I personally uh, think that this is a disease that too often is not described in, a, in the most important way. This is a, uh, not Omicron, but coronavirus, COVID-19 and its variants. Uh, it's been a disease that affects people 50 years and older in quite different ways than the rest of the population. Uh, with, uh, and, and the symptoms and the, the risk to health intensify as one gets older, which is just, frankly, I think true of just about every disease, it seems. And I, because I'm in that older group, uh, everything gets to be a bigger uh, concern and risk as you well, get older. You know, you're right. And um, we see these patterns. If you take typical influenza, the flu, it's primarily a disease of people over 65 or under three years of age. Um, those are the people who wind up getting into the, into the hospital. Now, coronavirus, we've been very fortunate thus far in that children, particularly normal children, are at right. extremely, extremely low risk. I'm not talking about a child who has cancer or who has uh, neurodevelopmental delay and maybe in a wheelchair and has poor lung function. You know, these people are at very, very high risk and you have to be very serious about them. And it is true that normal, healthy children can become sick with coronavirus, but it's at a an extremely, extremely uh, low risk to them if they're normal, healthy children. And I want to uh, just share a statistic that uh, is sitting here in front of me that supports what you're saying about uh, the Omicron uh, virus. And that is we've had about a, uh, the most recent day uh, was 700,000 cases. 700,000 cases, that sounds like a lot, but three days before that, it had been a million cases. And as you say, uh, the numbers may and reasonably would be much, much higher than that. But the deaths that were reported were, were fewer than 2,000 from that, those huge that, numbers. You know, and that's right. And we have to look very closely because the data are coming out now that um, it was just published from Los Angeles this morning that about two thirds of the people, up to three quarters of the people who are in the hospital and test positive for COVID are not there because of COVID. They're there to get their heart surgery or got hit you know, in a, by a car um, and they just happen to test positive. So what we're seeing in the hospital is probably at least of half the hospital numbers and maybe up to three quarters are there with COVID as in a diagnosis that's made just because everyone's tested as opposed to being in the hospital because of COVID. And that is absolutely 100% in the opposite direction than it, what, what it was in the earlier part of the pandemic, when about 80 or 90% of people who are in the hospital with COVID were there because of COVID, not just the testing positive. Right. For and that's a very important uh, distinction to make. Uh, and, and thank you for doing so. I, I, how is it that we ended up with a with a, a set of vaccines that were 96 and 95 uh, and 89 percent effective uh, in the testing at the onset of the pandemic and the introduction and the intervention of these vaccines, and then suddenly we're losing their efficacy and dropping to the point that we, for example, Moderna, for that for that shot now to be recommended four times. I've never heard of a vaccine in which you got four shots in a year. 
it's just to me it's just crazy yeah uh, well give us the, well, give, give us your thinking on that yeah so um when the original trials were done obviously uh we didn't wait a year or 18 months to see how long it lasted. Sure. We knew that over 60 to 90 days, people were 90, 95% protected. And, and remember where we were before these came out. Uh, you know, the, you know, the, the tragedies of, among you know, nursing homes and, right. and, and sick people. So we knew that it would work in the short term. We didn't have a long-term follow-up. Now, most vaccines, uh, now it may not be four in a year, but most vaccines you have to give in a series that could be over one year or two years or three years that goes for childhood vaccines as well as adult vaccines, like even the shingles vaccine, you know, you can get that after six months. So it is not unusual for us to need uh, vaccines that are six months or a year apart for your immune system your immune system is very smart. Even though you get that vaccine uh, on day one, your immune system is still working on that months later, creating better, stronger B cells, stronger antibodies. And when you hit it at six months or four months or five months, you get a really increased response. And that's what we expected. So I would say having to get a, a, a booster dose was, was clearly something that all of us thought would be possible. Now with Omicron, the reason why people may get a, may need a third or even a fourth dose is because it's, it's a really different virus, right? Um, we still have very good immunity to the native Wuhan strain, even to Delta, but Omicron has so many mutations um, that, uh, you know, you got to fill the tank up, your immune tank up in order to really protect yourself against it. And, and that's why it's so unusual to maybe need, potentially need a fourth dose. And they're doing that in Israel with elderly, right? They're not doing it with young people because we really wanna, you know, if I could take those thousand deaths down to zero, that's what I wanna do. Um, and the people who are dying or either those who are unvaccinated and never been, um, uh, never had COVID before, or there are people who may have been vaccinated or had COVID but they're elderly and over 65, but really over 75 and people with, we say, comorbid conditions, right? Bad obesity, hypertension, heart disease, diabetes, um, you know, problems like this really uh, make you a prime target. So, you know, it is possible that in the United States, as with Israel, because of Omicron, um, select people may be recommended for a fourth dose. And, and I want to ask you, too, about... President Biden announcing to the Governor's Association that he didn't see there uh, a federal solution for the pandemic, which was pretty striking since he's the guy who's been in charge. Uh, and now he seems to have reverted to the to the to the mean and is now saying that he wants to defeat the virus while other public health experts, including some of his own advisors, former advisors, are saying this is a this is now an endemic uh, virus, and we're going to have to live with it. Your your judgment, if you would. Well, it's kind of hard to know what the administration's doing because uh, on the campaign trail, they're just going to shut down the virus. They're not going to shut down the country. See how well that went for us. <laughs> um, 
Secondly, all we heard is the federal government wasn't doing enough under the Trump administration when we really were. We, you know, we sent hundreds of billions of dollars to the states. Um, we developed three vaccines. Um, we had a warp speed for testing. We had zero tests. And at the end, when we left, we had 170 million per month and already had delivered 180 million rapid tests throughout the country. Um, every week, governors got a 20 to 30 page uh, recommendation list down to the county level sent by Dr. Burks uh, and, and the task force doctors that recommended, didn't tell them, but recommended uh, what they needed. Uh, remember Rear Admiral Polubchek sending PPE to every single hospital, to every single nursing home. We sent testing to every single nursing home. Right. So the bottom line is the federal government has a role. It's federally supported and that's what we did, but it's gotta be run by your governors and it's gotta be executed locally. Uh, President Biden doesn't seem to get it that putting up a mass vaccination site in the middle of Los Angeles is not as good as having 500 pharmacies in Los Angeles uh, in federally qualified health centers giving out the vaccine. That's the way this works. So I stand by this. This has to be federally supported. It has to be state led and it has to be locally executed. It's a very simple formula. When the federal government ties a strong arm to mandate, uh, to try to tell people what they can and cannot do, it's gonna be doomed to failure, and that's what you've seen. Yeah, when I, when I first heard that he said this to the governors, I thought, finally, he gets it. Biden finally understands how this country works, uh, when it works best. Uh, our federal system, our, our states with their unique and sovereign powers. And the next thing, because it's absolutely deleterious and antithetical to everything the left stands for, he had to retract it. And now we're back to he's going to defeat the virus. Do you think indeed that it is endemic and that we will simply yes. have to, to live with it? Yes, we will. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I say, I said before that I'm, I'm always humble in my conclusions. So, you know, nobody has a crystal ball, but this virus is not going away. Um, it is going to smolder. What we need to do is make sure that we minimize the severe consequences of the virus. Right. And we do that by all of the above, right? We do it by vaccination. We do it by having the tremendously successful oral pills from Pfizer and Merck which will really change the landscape. Again, it's not a substitute for vaccination, but it really can help if, you, if you're getting sick, uh, particularly elderly or prone to hospitalizations, these are tremendous. Our monoclonal antibodies, we need more of them because uh, two of the major ones do not work against Omicron. Um, the GSK does work, but yes, we're gonna have, I, you know, I, I wish it would go away, but it's not. It is gonna smolder, but we can live with this and we can't ruin our children by keeping them out of school and ruining their future. We cannot ruin our economy. We cannot ruin our preparedness, both militarily and from a law enforcement standpoint because of this virus. We have to persist, we have to be resilient and we can live with this with minimal consequences moving forward. That is the mindset. And you're seeing a lot of people who are typically quote on the left, and I mean really on the left now saying this, that this is what we have to do. We're not going to defeat it. It's not going to zero. 
And if you think we're going to get it to zero, you will destroy our country as we know it to get it that way. And that is unacceptable. Let me go through just a few practical issues, if I, if I may here, doctor. One, do masks work or don't they? Are they critically important or aren't they? Are they for the person wearing the mask or are they for the community in which they live? So uh, let me give you, first of all, we would know the answers to these 100% if the CDC actually did the right studies instead of uh, only cherry picking the data to support their conclusions. And I think they've really done that. But let me give you sort of my bottom line. Okay. Uh, with Omicron, um, masks are not very helpful unless it's a surgical mask or an N95. Um, the kind of single layer cloth masks that, that worked reasonably well early on. And when I mean reasonably well, maybe it gives you 25 or 30 or 35% protection. It's not very helpful now. But if you do have a relatively high quality mask, and that's something that the CDC knows but doesn't make it in their recommendations, uh, meaning a surgical mask or an N95, KN95, um, it does provide uh, a degree of protection. It is not 100%. Look, when I'm outside, I don't wear a mask. When I go to the grocery store, I don't wear a mask. Um, I don't, I'm vaccinated. I'm not gonna be you know, rubbing up against someone for 15 minutes. I just don't. If I were in a very crowded, you know, um, a very crowded indoor space with poor ventilation, um, you know, that would be a time, particularly if you're vulnerable, that you should wear a mask. And I should say that if you have COVID and you choose to leave at five days, like the CDC recommendations, um, it's a really good idea for those five days to wear a surgical mask or an N95, because about 30% of people, if you look at the numbers, at day five are still going to be infectious. And we don't want to leave on day six or seven and infect people. So that's a really good idea. If you're not going to test to make sure you're negative, make sure you wear a high quality mask after that isolation. And, and are, are masks dangerous to children? So I don't support masking in young children. Um, the US, uh, first of all, there's, in, when I'm talking about young children, I'm talking you know 10 or 11 years old and younger. Um, the entire world essentially says if you're under five, don't wear a mask. Um, the harms outweigh the benefits. And, and look, a, a, a two-year-old is not going to keep a mask on in, in, in the right way. And right. it's just, it, you know, it, it's kind of barbaric. And we know that there are risks. Um, six to 11-year-olds, um, most of the world, and I agree with this, um, if, if there are situations where it's crowded, wear a mask for a short time and then you know, take it off if they want to and if they can tolerate it. Once you get to be teenagers, you're more like adults. So um, let me just summarize it. Um, I, I think forcing children under five to wear masks, um, I don't know any uh, modern country in the world right now that supports that. And the WHO specifically prohibits it in its recommendations. And from six to 11, um, never shown to be beneficial. I think it should be up to a parent and their child and the situation that they're in. Um, you know, this should not be Is mandated. But let me tell you, the children need to be back in school physically. And I hope we talk about that. I know you touched on it. Um, the idea of keeping children out of school uh, for more times, uh, more time is going to cause irreparable harm. And it's harming the most underserved in the community. So we're going to see the divide between the rich and poor grow even greater because the great equalizer 
our school system is now off to the sideline taking a break and we cannot afford that in our country. Yeah. Yeah, you've just said the magic words uh, to me. And that is uh, something that I believe throughout my life because I'm a product of public schools. Uh, I believe that public schools are the great equalizer in our society and have been throughout uh, our existence as a nation. And what we are permitting the teachers unions to do to those public schools and the left to, uh, to overwhelm our local school boards to the point that they can actually say in a meeting that you're a domestic terrorist parent of the children, that you are a, a, a threat uh, to, to the national good uh, as citizens wanting to decide what will be taught in your schools. And meanwhile, it is the left, it is the places where the teachers unions are strongest that are shutting their doors and destroying the school year for millions of uh, children, who, most of whom I would hazard are uh, underprivileged, uh, underserved uh, by the system, and who are now a year short and a year further deprived of the opportunity for the, the greatest education in the world. Absolutely, and you know, I obviously I don't agree with much from President Biden right now in, in much of his cabinet, but even President Biden and his Secretary of Education um, are saying the right thing, and that is children need to be physically back in school. Now, again, uh, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he mandate it, Admiral? Why doesn't he well, mandate that? He's such um, a fan of mandates. Well, I think you're going to have to ask. I think you're going to have to ask him that. Uh, but uh, again, uh, you know, I'm not big on federal mandates one way or the other. I hear. Uh, uh, but the I, federal government has has provided 120 billion dollars or more to schools, you know, to upgrade their infrastructure. All teachers can get vaccinated. Um, and, and there is really good evidence that children are actually safer in school from COVID than they are when they're not in school because they're not going, you know, in their basement being locked up. They're having social activities. They're spreading the virus in much less controlled ways. And remember, they're not learning. They're becoming socially behind, intellectually right. behind. Physical abuse is not getting diagnosed. Children with special needs aren't getting their services. We're not even getting good school meals and nutrition. All these things will add up to, uh, you know, it, it, it just makes me shake. I'm so worried about the children who are going to be victimized by bad policies. Not so much by COVID, but by the bad policies that surround COVID as we know it. Well, the left, the left has made so many mistakes in this, and the radical Dems, the Democratic Party, what their purpose is is beyond me because they know of the harm that they're causing, they know of the developmental uh, deficits they're creating for all of for all of the children who are deprived of that time in in their schools uh, because of the national uh, you know federation of teachers or the uh, you know it, it, the list goes on it's either the NEA the federal uh, the federation of teachers uh, all of the powerful unions that are having their way and bullying their way and their local school districts into uh, another vacation it's horrible. It is disgusting. And uh, I, that might be one mandate that I would issue. <laughs> and, and that is to put those teachers back in those schools. And if they don't, uh, then uh, replace them immediately. Well, it, I, I, I would certainly like to build on common ground because at least by his words, President Biden 
wants children back in school and so does the secretary. And I think this is something that, um, that certainly the Trump administration agrees with. And I think most of your listeners to get children back in school. So if we all agree on it, let's really make it happen. Let's join together because look, you know, I'm 61, you know, I've had a blessed life beyond belief. I don't plan to die tomorrow, but you know, the future is our children. And that has to be the priority right now, starting this minute, uh, our children securing their futures and keeping the country that we know and love and are privileged to live in the same for them, that they can grow up and live in the best country in the world. And I think the best country you know, ever in human civilization because of our freedoms and our principles. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think most Americans would agree with you, absolutely. We are, uh, we have to be straightforward about this. We are engaged in a great conflict in this country. It is not physical at this point. It is, it breaks into violence occasionally on our streets. But the truth is we are in a great conflict and it's a confrontation over what is reality and what is the future. And unless uh, the Republicans in this country wake up to the damage done by, by the left and the purpose of that damage, uh, it will continue and we won't have the country that uh, our founders intended and so many sacrificed to preserve. Uh, you are one of those who's uh, sacrificed much and served much. Uh, to, we thank you for your service to this country. Admiral, we thank you for being with us here on the Great America Show today. We've learned a lot. I'm going to, if I may, uh, leave as we customarily do, uh, you to have the last word uh, as, as you see fit. And again, my thanks. So I guess what I would say at the end is um, I'm starting to see polls which are really concerning me about America is less optimistic about this year than they were last year. And I wanna tell everyone there is all the reason for optimism. Again, um, our administration brought vaccines, brought medicines, brought antibodies uh, to, the, to the most part. Uh, the Trump plan is being carried on by the Biden administration. Uh, in terms of getting vaccines out and getting those therapies out. We're now seeing a change where, although there are lots of cases, you know, millions of cases, hospitalizations and deaths are low. So I want the American people to be optimistic. Um, this is a time for optimism. This is a time to join together. This is the time to protect our children. This is the time to grow America, to grow our national security, to grow our economy and to keep our freedoms and liberty. We cannot just give away our freedoms and liberty uh, because we are told to be frightened or we're told to be afraid or we're told the sky is falling because it's not. I see a good year ahead. Um, I see this becoming endemic and manageable and I see America uh, really rising again uh, to, its, to its position of world leadership, uh, a position that we deserve because uh, only America could provide the enlightened spiritually guided, uh, the liberty type of leadership that this world needs. Amen, Admiral. We thank you very much, Doctor, for being with us here. Uh, and thanks for that, that uh, optimistic, uh, and I think positive, and uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Again, all I've done for uh, the time we've had <laughs> together here is agree with you. And I, I, that makes me feel better about myself. So thank you. I'm now, in addition, far more optimistic. Thanks to you, Dr. Giroir. Thank you. Thank you.
Join us again tomorrow for the Great America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.